Hosanna, a fellowship of Christians. Good morning. Welcome to Hosanna. If you're online, we say good morning to you and welcome you also. Oh, as you're able, could we stand together, please? This first hymn, pardon? If you just sat down, you don't have to get up. This first hymn invites us to sing with the angels, sing with our families, sing with our fellow believers. And with every fiber of our being, let's worship Christ the Lord.
same God who shepherds and wise men worshiped is the God we worship and adore today. He's always good, always loving, always all powerful. No matter how this world changes around us, we can trust that God is consistent. Let's sing about that same God.
to you. Well, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's still the king of kings. In Revelation 17, 14, we read, These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful.
This is a new one for the band, so we give a lot of grace to one another and to Gordon, who did a fabulous job. But I'm just going to try to get more of a feel to this one started again. I probably let it go too long, and I apologize. But all right, so she was going to start.
Hey, let's rejoice. Stand up, greet one another, and if you are saying hello to somebody you do not know, please tell them your name and ask them for their name. And hello to all of you who are online. for greeting each other. And I will virtually shake all of your hands, virtually give all of you a hug. And if you don't know who I am, too bad, so sad. No, I'm Rick. <laughs> all right, I hope all, uh, and there's another Rick over there, but you know, I'm the Rick. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was not nice. That was not nice, but that's who I am. I mean, you know. <laughs> I still love you, Rick, though, because... Love you, too, Rick. <laughs> I'm on the naughty list, she said. All right. Um, I hope all of you had... and We're going to take up the offering, please, now. Go ahead. hope all of you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, it was hopping, hopping, hopping around here on Thanksgiving Day. I think there were some hoppins around here before Thanksgiving Day, to be honest with you. Let me ask if you in any way participated in Thanksgiving Day here, meaning you either cooked a turkey or you helped beforehand or you were here on Thanksgiving Day, I want you to stand up. I want anybody who participated to stand up, okay? Let's give all these people, and as you're, as you're clapping, we also want to give PJ, who really took this and she always runs with it, and her super duper assistant, Steve. Yeah, so we want to thank them as well. Now, how many turkeys? Last count I had was 61. Did it go back? 65, okay. So, 54 last year, 65 this year. Now, I was here from 7.30 until 12.30 carving turkeys, and I had to leave at 12.30, and my toes, my back were tired, I'll tell you what. I'm not 35 anymore. <laughs> I'm 72. And there were others who were still here as well. And uh, there were six to eight turkeys still left to carve when I left. So <clears throat> I had to train one of PJ's grandsons on how to carve a turkey. Did he do, did he do okay after, after I left? I figured he probably did, yeah. Uh, so I know you're wanting to know how many meals did we serve, right? Okay. So, take your hands on your knees, give me a drum roll. Come on, everybody, give me a drum roll. All right. 1,396 meals were served. And that's right around where we were last year. I don't remember the exact number last year. Yeah, it's pretty close, pretty close, yeah. 1,396 meals. It's just absolutely amazing. There are some pictures there. So, uh, I love uh, the hat there. 
Yeah. Yeah, the cookie lady. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Okay. So uh, the adult class, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, continues today at 11.15 in the Fellowship Hall and online. Today is the last class. Uh, we don't have any type of update on the abbreviated lock-in. I don't know if anybody knows anything about that, but apparently they didn't do a full lock-in because there weren't quite as many people who signed up. Uh, and in relationship to that, Jared's not here today, but uh, Jared's birthday is today. He's 40. Yesterday, 40 years old, yesterday. So happy birthday, Jared, wherever you are. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jared. Yeah, happy birthday the day after. All right. Uh, and I hope you're planning on coming to the Christmas party. It's going to be held after the service on December the 11th. I was checking back there when I signed up, and there are over 100 and. 14 or 140, I forget there was a four in there somewhere, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember where the four was, but it was in there somewhere. So there are quite a few people who have signed up. Today is the last day, so be sure if you want to be a part of that, uh, be sure to sign up. It's going to be a great day. There's no cost. Someone uh, generously paid for the meal, so that's exciting. Uh, we will have entertainment from character juggler Chris Ivey, and he's been here before. Um, I don't remember all kinds of things that happened before. When I see him again, I'll probably remember him. <laughs> I don't remember him, you know. So, but it's going to be a great time. We'll have a wonderful time. All right. Anybody else have anything you want to say before I go? Good. I'm glad you didn't. All right. So now we will have Tony and Joanne. Come on up. Okay. He's such a wreck. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is great to see you this morning. Yeah. Weren't sure when a holiday weekend how many of you we were going to get to see. But do we really see you? I mean, how about those of you who are online with us, either live now, hi, or later, if you're catching the recording. Um, we're so glad you're here. We're glad you're kind of in the room, but we're aware of the fact that while you can see us, we can't see you, which is just a little bit weird. We have no idea who's out there. <laughs> Who's, who's watching? Who's staring at us? No, it's it, um, And by the way, the fact that we can, they can see us at all um, this morning is, is pretty awesome. Thanks, Jeff, yes. for being extraordinary once again. The camera was causing difficulties. Uh, and yeah. This is probably not fair to Jeff, but when we come in and Jeff says, you know, the camera isn't working... The rest of it just kind of shrug our shoulders because he's like he's like magic. We just we know that there will be a camera somehow that Jeff will sort it out because he's just smart that way and he figures things out. But it takes an incredible amount of work and creativity back there. So mm -hmm. anyway, this is kind of like what kids do. I guess I've been with my kids this weekend. I was thinking about this. They close or put their heads hands over their faces and then say, "You can't see me." <laughs> the assumption that because I can't see you, you can't see me. Um, uh, but in this case, the camera really does only see one way. And, but talk about seeing. What about those of us who are gathered physically in this room? Do we really see each other? I was glad Rick had us do the, uh, the greetings of one another. From up here, we see most of you. But some of you are a little bit shrouded in shadows. It's part of the lighting in the room. And some of you are hidden behind someone else's head. And uh, <laughs> hi, Linda, now I can see you. Uh, you know, things like that. But even when we're eye to eye and face to face, how much do we truly see? You know, we see what we each present to the world. 
But there's infinitely more to see of each of us. So many folks, both out there and in here in this room, are so desperate to be fully seen. Yeah. Can somebody notice who I am? Yeah. Can you see me out there? Do you ever feel that way? Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel invisible, unseen, alone in a crowd? Maybe even this crowd? It's amazing how, until we're truly seen, we remain full or at least partial mysteries to one another. Not, not like a murder mystery, like Agatha Christie novel. <laughs> a mystery in spiritual terms. This is a good biblical word. It's something that we can't see on our own, but must be revealed to us by God. It's, as I said, it's a biblical word. Jesus said that the mystery of the kingdom of God was being given to us, was being given in his own generation. The people were finally, God was revealing what it was going to look like. Paul speaks of the mystery of God being revealed in Christ. After centuries and centuries of the people of God waiting, and sometimes waiting in darkness and longing and despair, God, we'd love to see what it is that you're talking about. And then it came, yeah. the redemption promise to the world. Yeah, and it's that waiting and longing and hoping that we remember during the season of Advent, which begins today. That's what we were singing about. Um, it's a time of recalling, as Tony just said, century after century of the world's long waiting for the coming of the promised Savior who would be the light in the darkness for us all. And that's actually what the word Advent means. It comes from Latin. I took four years of Latin in high school. I'm sorry. No, I, you know why? Because I was planning on being an attorney and I thought it would help at that time in my life. I was gonna, wanted to be a lawyer. It's and so I thought all that Latin, that was going to help me. <laughs> I didn't end up becoming an attorney, obviously, but I know what Advent means. Advent means ad, ad in Latin is to, and vent is come. It means to come. It's a time when we get to consider generations of spiritual ancestors who faithfully waited and watched but never saw in their earthly lives what we take for granted, the coming of the Savior, the birth of the one who came over 2,000 years ago to satisfy every longing and fan the flame of hope again. So during Advent, yeah, we celebrate mystery. We celebrate the mystery of God's own watching and waiting. Because God, you know, we, can, we have a tendency to see only ourselves and what's happening to us. And very often we forget. As we were waiting, God was also waiting. And we, we're celebrating that mystery. The God who watches, the God who waits, the God who patiently loves and offers grace. Which in the fullness of time was revealed in the Christ child born in Bethlehem and was seen physically by ordinary shepherds and magnificent magi. And by all who have been wise enough to truly want to see, to want to see, to want to know him ever since. And here, as the angels announced, here's the good news for all people. We are not left alone in our deep longing to see because God is Emmanuel. God is always with us and always seeing us. Why? Because God is the God who sees. But how does God see? Mm -hmm. 
Too many people fear the all-seeing eye of God. I did for half of my life. Assuming that God is one of those that sees you when you're sleeping, knows when you're awake. You know what the next line is, yeah. right? He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness. Okay. No, that's Santa. <laughs> Santa the stalker, according to that, that joke on the, on the screen there. This is one of the biggest differences between Santa. We teach our kids about the guy who's watching them when they're sleeping. I'm, why do we do that? This is one of the big differences between Santa and God. Only God has such miraculous powers of sight yeah. to see everything, yes, including the bad. And even so, to love us still. This is gospel. This amazing grace of how God saw and is still seeing through the eyes of love. For God is love. Yeah. Has always been. Always will be. So anyway, this Advent takes us back to the beginning of the story. To this God who sees, to the gaze of the creator who is overjoyed. Not only what was created. By the way, what does Genesis 1 say? But God saw what he had created. He saw it. It was very good. Mm-hmm. He was overjoyed not in what he had created, but also in the process of creation itself. Yeah. And God was all that infinite, uncreated love, wanting to share that love with others outside of... We, we, our pronouns break down when it comes to talking yes. about God. Outside of <laughs> themselves. The mystery of the Trinity. Yeah. Yes. I like this one. I found this slide. Elohim... <laughs> which is the word for God used there. It's like pants, singular at the top and plural at the bottom. <laughs> God himself, uh, they wanted, wanted to share their love, but there weren't any others. So God got busy. In the Jewish tradition, it said that God first, first created a space for those others to exist in. You just think about that. This infinite, immortal, invisible love spoke the universe into an existence for those others to dwell in. And within that infinite universe are countless visible stars and galaxies, most of which have not been seen by human beings up until our own generation. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And the, web, the web telescope right now is returning some amazing pictures. Yeah. Oh, yes. What's been there all along because of the love of God and the delight of God and and seeing the beauty that was made. And on this one particular planet called Earth, God created this, our word for today would be a biosphere, a garden, Mm -hmm. a lush, vibrant place in which these mortal and material beings were formed and fashioned in God's own likeness and image so they could be together with God. And God saw them. God looked at them. And God did see them, delightedly. See, Genesis reveals that through that entire process of creation, God was gazing in delight, gazing in love on everything that was made. And I believe that God was also gazing in anticipation, not only of what was there, but of all that was to come, like those long walks in the cool of the day with the man and the woman in the garden. I mean, talk about mystery. Those visible people were not only seen and delighted in by God, but somehow they saw with their eyes an invisible God. You know, mine continues to be blown. This is what, this is how you know that you've received God's grace 
of seeing mystery, you're confounded. You're absolutely mind blown where the mind kind of breaks open and says, I have no clue. I think I'll just bow down and worship. These visible people saw an invisible God. And you know what they did? They delighted right back. And they also saw each other. And they delighted in each other. This was the way everything was created to be at the very beginning. This is God's design. See, they were seeing as they were seen. And they were naked and unashamed, the scripture tells us. But it also tells us that it didn't last, did it? God saw, God watched while they were tempted and didn't interfere with their choice to turn their gaze away from him toward a fruit, toward what is created. They turned their seeing from the creator to what was created. And God watched as their seeing, the way they saw was disordered. And God's heart must have broken as he watched their hearts break as they saw they were naked. And then they hid themselves in fig leaf coverings of their own making. They were no longer unashamed. See, at that point, all they could see was shame and shaming, which they did to each other, pointing fingers again and again. And God saw them. And this time he saw them sorrowfully. God saw it all, of course, and though there, there was sadness in what they had chosen, God still advented them. That's a verb that Joanne made up for this message. I think it's cool. God still came to them in love. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Please come. Not condemning them, but inviting out of their dark hiding to walk with him. Inviting them to open their eyes to see the bigger reality of love still present and available to them even now. But they refused. And that refusal was the essence of sin. They refused to love and to be loved as God had. had and my words don't make sense. They refused <laughs> to love and be loved by God as they had already experienced God loving them. They would not return God's gaze. Yep. They chose to live in a darkness of their own making. It's a darkness of self-deception, of forgetting, of separation. So often in the way we tell this story, we imagine God is almost the bad guy, the one that is pushing them away. They were the ones who pushed God away. Why did they do it? Why do we continue to live blindly in ways that we don't want to live? Why do we continue to refuse to love and to be loved when the God of love is right here with us? Yes, God's love is a mystery to us. But so is sin. The mystery of sin is that it exists at all. Why would we possibly do that? Sin changed humanity, yes, but it did not change God, who told them them with sorrow what they would experience as a result of their choices. 
And here's another one. Remained with them as they went out of the garden. That's what the biblical story says. I went looking for images to try to show that. I could not find a single one of the billions of images that exist out there on the internet of God going with them out of the garden. Yep. That's what he did. It wasn't just an expulsion and I'll stay in here and you go out there. God went with them out into this world. Yep. God has always been with them. They created their own world, disordered and diseased, and generation after generation perpetuated that disorder and that disease. But through those generations, God continued to be with them, to see them, to love them. Yep. Even as they continued in their blind refusal to see and love him. Yep. Or to see and love his sacred image in themselves and in others. And so God watched with sorrow. One of the words that one of our favorite biblical scholars uses is pathos. Yep. It gets the depth of this emotion, this anguish with which God watched them. This generation after generation blindly disrespected and damaged, blindly used and misused each other. Because he created death-dealing systems of power and greed in which everyone was trapped from top to bottom of every pyramid they built. And yet, the ongoing sin and refusal did, still did not change God. It's amazing, isn't it? To tell the story through that lens, to see through the eyes of love, because that's who God is. And to counterbalance this story that we've pretty much all been taught as Christians at some point or another, that somehow God looks at us with anger and with hatred. No, absolutely not. How do we know? Because God looked at them. And God, as he's looking, he saw them. Where's the slide? Because I don't, I, delightedly, he looked at them sorrowfully, and he also looked at them hopefully. See, God, yeah, he watched with delight. He watched with sadness, but he also watched with compassion as generation after generation suffered, not seeing the one who saw them and saw all they did and saw all that was done to them and yet who never gave up on them. See, God also watched in hope, knowing that although our seeing had been disordered and although we, we lived as humanity in the darkness of forgetting, there remained within us a deep memory of the way life once was. We're told in Ecclesiastes 3, yet God made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. See, that eternal memory in the human heart created a God-given longing for paradise lost. It is a longing that's in every human being, whether they recognize it or not. See, it's a holy discontent with this dark and disordered world. And it's a deep, wordless desire that the way it's always been could actually become the way it was created to be again. See, God saw us in hope, even though the pain and the suffering was terrible, and it was. 
And even though we stumbled and fell again and again in the darkness. And you know, even when we became hopeless, God kept showing up, giving hope, doing things, all kinds of things to draw our attention in ways that shouted again and again and again, I see you, I love you. I'm laughing because over the weekend, uh, Thanksgiving Day, um, I was with my, my grandkids and my family and they wanted to watch Elf. They wanted to immediately start watching Christmas movies as soon as Thanksgiving dinner was over. And so we watched Elf and I'm thinking of, it, it, I don't know, I, maybe God, I, I hope that this is fine for God, but you know where Elf goes and he sees his father and he's like trying to tell him, I'm your son, and he sings in his office, I love you, I love you, I love you. Yeah, that's God. That's God showing up again and again and again and never giving up. Why? He's waving at us, just look at me, just look at me because if you will just see me you will deep inside you just might desire more than anything else to see and love me back because that's what God wants that's why he created us for a love relationship that shared not simply one way so God saw them all collectively all of humanity trapped in this disordered prison we had made for ourselves. Yeah. But God also saw each of them individually. God saw each individual person, watched each individual story, was present in each individual life. Yeah. It is true that for God so loves the world, humanity as a whole. Yeah. But God is also uniquely passionate about, he's especially fond of, <laughs> each individual person yeah. and that's what the scriptures are telling us with their stories about particular people each seen by God for who they really were yeah. and with each invited by this delighted sorrowful hopeful God into the advent of hope I love the fact that the worship team picked that uh, that song again this morning about the same God because it was telling the stories of I think of the four people that were in that song, three of them, we had picked to talk about um, this morning without yes. realizing it. Mm -hmm. For instance, let me give you just, we'll just give you some examples here to prove the point and maybe to identify with some of these examples. For instance, God saw Jacob. We mentioned him in passing last week. God saw who he really was and God wrestled him into seeing it too. Early on, Jacob decided the only way he was going to make it in this disordered, deceptive world was by being a deceiver. That's what his name actually means. Jacob means deceiver. So he deceived his brother, he deceived his father, he deceived his father-in-law, and especially himself. And Jacob walked through much of his life with his spiritual eyes shut. You can't see me. Until that night with the angel, or really, it's the Hebrews suggested it was the Lord himself when he wrestled and in the morning he was changed even his name was changed yeah. he had a brother twin brother Esau meanwhile whom he had cheated and overlooked 
If Esau had been of the same character as Jacob, he would have reaped vengeance the first chance he got. And he, at one point when they were young, hoped to. But over the years, something had happened to Esau as well. And the first chance he got, Esau actually embraced his brother. Even before he knew that Jacob had been changed. He had seen Jacob's deception from the start, just like God had. And he had chosen to love him like a brother. Yeah. And you know what? God saw Esau, too. Mm-hmm. God saw what he had overcome in his own spirit so that he could see, too. God saw Esau like he sees everyone who has been taken advantage of and yet finds part of that grace inside of them, that grace of God to forgive. Yeah. It's a mystery that such forgiveness is possible. But God has given us this gift to share. Now, Jacob and Esau, they were the grandsons of a famous couple who had returned God's gaze and chose to love and follow God. They believed that an impossible promise could come true. They had done this in some courageous ways. Their names were Abraham and Sarah. But Abraham and Sarah were still imperfect humans, still disordered, still caught in a disordered system. And at one point, as he got a little bit older, Abraham's sight faltered. He grew tired of waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. He grew weary of hoping. And so one day, he and Sarah took matters into their own hands. Yeah, Sarah told Abraham to go have a baby (laughs) with one of their Egyptian slaves since God was obviously too slow in giving them the child that he had promised. Abraham agreed and went and did it. And then Sarah got jealous and mistreated the pregnant woman so harshly that she ran away into the desert. And in a moment that she felt probably the most alone and afraid she'd ever felt in her life, God saw Hagar. God saw what had happened to her. And God saw who'd done it. And God wanted Hagar to see too. Genesis 16, Hagar stopped to rest at a spring in the desert. I love the imagery there. At a spring in the desert on the road to Shur. While she was there, the angel of the Lord came and asked, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? This is a turning point in Hagar's life. We all have them. Where have you come from, and where are you going? See, she's standing right there. And many of us know what that's like, and many of you may be there right now at a turning point. See, before this turning point in the story, Hagar was referred to only as my maidservant, my servant, or your servant. Abraham and Sarah didn't see Hagar. She was a nameless possession to them. But when the angel of the Lord appeared to her, his first word to her was her name. See, names are so important. Hagar. See, not only did he see her in her distress, he knew her name. And God also knows your name. And God knows my name. Right? And God sees us. And God acts on our behalf, especially when we're hurting. In a time of devastating, confusing loss, you know, it can be so comforting just to hear 
our names spoken tenderly by someone who deeply sees and knows us. My gosh, sometimes that's all I need when I'm in a place that's really hard. It's just someone to see me and say, Joanne, it's going to be okay. See, Hagar experienced that. See, God not only saw her, God knew her and proved he knew her. Because remember, Hagar's an Egyptian, not a Jew. She didn't know this God at all. But God saw her, proved he saw her, and you know what? Hagar saw God seeing her. Now, how do we know that? She returned the gaze. We know that because, you know, he names, he says her name, and then she names him right back. One of the only times in the entire Bible that God receives a name from a human being. El-Roi, literally in Hebrew, the God who sees. Genesis 16, so she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Do you see that? Difficult Hebrew here. Another translation is, have I really seen God and lived to tell about it? <laughs> How precious is this? How precious is it to be seen and to see, to have one other being in the universe when you are just at the end of it all who actually sees you and loves you and cares for you. See, and it also seems precious to God, doesn't it, that Hagar saw him and gave him a name. When Hagar was invisible to everyone around her, God saw her and knew everything about her, and God knew what had happened to her, and he knew what, who had done it to her, and even though he loved Abraham and Sarah, it wasn't okay. They weren't perfect. He knew all about Sarah and Abraham's mistreatment. And he showed Hagar and all of us that he's also not only the God of the chosen ones, but that everyone's a chosen one. Not just the powerful ones, but he's the God of the forgotten and the powerless. The ones who are taken advantage of and blamed for what other people do. And though the, the, the disordered human system, listen, it couldn't be changed overnight. Sure, could God yeah, snap the divine fingers and it's all done? Sure, but that does not achieve the goal of creation in the first place. That we would choose to love the one who loves us. What, Westminster Catechism. The Presbyterians, I think, have this right in their catechism. In answer to the question, what is the goal or the end of humanity? The answer, to love God and enjoy him forever. That's it, folks. See, this whole system, it can't be changed unless, like this, overnight. We have to participate, but even when we're not, God continues to work all things together for good and all means all all things. 
So, to save her and her child's life, God sent Hagar back to Sarah and Abraham. Ever been there when God just leads you to do a really hard thing? But it was to save their lives. But you know, when God sent her back, he sent her back with the same promise that he'd given to Abraham and Sarah. That through the son she would bear, her descendants would also be as numberless as the stars in the sky. God also saw David. I talked about him a few weeks ago. God saw what he had done and who'd he done it to. You know, when David was young, this is the David we like, right? The young David. God saw him as one who had God's own heart. That's why he'd been chosen to be king in the first place, even though he didn't look the part. Remember what God said? Humans look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And he looked at the heart and said, you're the guy. You're the one. But as David grew older, his heart grew smaller. It was like the Grinch. Until it didn't look much like God's heart at all. He became a man who took what he wanted and who he wanted and disposed of those that he didn't. That's really the only explanation for why this giant killing, psalm writing, prophet anointed hero used Bathsheba as, she, as he did. He saw her body, but he did not see the image of God in her. He didn't see the love in her heart for her husband, whom David arranged to have killed because Uriah was in the way. He didn't see the no in her eyes when he took her. David didn't see her or God or himself. And that's why God sent Nathan to help him open his eyes, to invite him to see again. Nathan gets David's attention through a story, which is how God gets more attention much of the time, which is why the Bible has so many stories, which is why we're telling you stories today. He tells him a story of this this gentleman, this poor gentleman who cares for a little lamb as a beloved pet. Until that pet is stolen and eaten by his rich, powerful neighbor. And when David's fury at this evil is roused, Nathan delivers the knockout blow. He points his finger and says, you, David, are that man. You're the one. And in that moment, thank God, David wakes up. And he sees himself as horror struck at what he has become. And he repents. And here's the cool thing about God. God sees him through it all, in the moment of brokenness, in his bitter self-seeing when he wakes up. And God loves him the whole way through. And he loves him back to himself because God was still looking after his heart. We all need the grace of our you're the one moments. Yep. So that we can also have the even so you're the, still the one I love moments with God. The moments when we hear that from God, the moments when we return that to God. Those moments in front of the mirror of our souls when we truly see ourselves and also see how deeply we are seen by God. Yep. And well, nonetheless... It's not merely to find out who's naughty and who's nice. It's a mystery that our eyes can be open to see as Nathan did, as David did all over again, as God always does, with deep sorrow for what we do to ourselves and each other, and yet with incredible love that invites us back to his heart and back to our true selves. Yeah, another story. I mean, we could have chosen so many. But there was another prophet 
whom God also saw, named Elijah. See, God saw what Elijah needed, and he also saw why he needed it, so that Elijah could see it too. See, God saw Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel as he was bravely confronting the false prophets of Baal so that God's people would turn their gaze away from this false god and see their true god again. So Elijah created an impossible situation. He built a sacrificial pyre and put a sacrifice on top of the altar and then poured gallon after gallon after gallon of water all over the wood underneath the altar. Elijah was trusting in that moment because you know what? If God didn't come through to him, Elijah was done. It's one of those moments. God trusted that his invisible God saw him and would make his presence seen. So Elijah stood there and called for fire from heaven. And God answered. God consumed the sacrifice on that water-soaked altar in flames. What a glorious moment of revealing. You talk about mystery, holy cow, God showing up in ways that humans could never even believe. That was a moment when many did see and many did believe. It was a moment in which Elijah felt powerfully seen and affirmed by God. But you know what? Not long after, God also saw this same Elijah lying exhausted and burned out on the floor of a cave. See, God saw what Elijah's longing and love had cost him. We felt like this too, haven't we? And it's really good news for all of us that God saw Elijah in that cave and didn't tell him to get up and get back to work. Nope. God saw an old faithful servant and treated him with tender loving care. See, God doesn't take for granted what you and I or anyone else offer him in love. We can't be more generous than God is. Or kinder. Or more compassionate. You see, God spoke to this tired, burned out, old friend of a prophet. And he spoke to him in a gentle whisper, not an earthquake. Not in the flaming fires again. No. God spoke in a still voice, a quiet voice, and assured him, Elijah, you're not alone. And he assured him, I'm going to provide the nourishment that you need, Elijah, in every way, because you are burned out, and I'm grateful for your service. Hmm. And God also assured him that when he did recover, and when he came out of that cave, he was going to see what was true all along that there were a throng of others who also loved and served God and who would truly stand with Elijah, and especially one young man that Elijah knew very well, named Elisha, who not too long afterward stood and received Elijah's cloak that he threw over the chariot of fire that took him back to heaven. There's so much hope for us. 
So much hope in this story. Because all of us have or will have Elijah moments when we're feeling exhausted in whatever our ministry is. And we all are ministers. We know here everyone is a minister, not just us two up here. When we feel exhausted in our ministry to God and to others, when we are suffering from compassion fatigue and desperately wanting it just be done already, can it just be over? Have you been there? I have been. And you know, even if we're not there right now, we know plenty of others who are, right? And the Advent hope that we can experience and offer to others is the reality that God not only sees us, not only knows our name, but whispers grace in a still small voice to all of us, to all of those who are feeling overwhelmed by earthquakes, who are worn out from all those mountaintop battles, and desperately alone in their caves of despair. See, let's live in Advent hope by being the angels who bring needed nourishment and encouragement and companionship to burned out friends, family, brothers, sisters, just like real angels, right? Heavenly angels brought food and sustenance to Elijah. You know, let's live in Advent hope, right? By being those angels, and also, this is, can be the hard part, by also being willing to receive those gifts from other angels when we need that. Why? So we can all share in and spread the gospel, the good news that no matter how overwhelmed we may be, the God who sees us is always there and is acting through the hands and the heart and the presence of God's people. One last story, <clears throat> and it's a quick one. It's one you know, mm-hmm. but particularly relevant in the season of Advent because God saw Mary too. God saw who she was and who she would become so she could see it too. Yeah. Now, the people in Nazareth who knew her might have thought her perhaps particularly devout as far as teenagers go, but, but a young woman in a small town on the edge of empire was not going to be noticed much. Like our own world, their sight was focused primarily on the go-getters and the strong and the influential, the celebrities. But God saw her. God saw a young, faithful servant, humble and full of gracious love for God. He saw in her what he had once seen in David, a heart like his own. And so out of all the people in the world, out of all the women of childbearing age, out of all those that he looked upon with delight, he invited her this one, to join him in bringing the Savior into the world. And he does the same things today. He sees what others will not, cannot see in you and me. Yeah, and of course we'll have lots more to say about Mary and some others as we move along toward Christmas, but for now... She's not contrary. Hmm? Oh, Mary, Mary, quite contrary. Okay. Okay. What's the point? Obviously, God sees us. And God sees us in all the same ways that he saw all of these biblical folks. He sees us delightedly and sorrowfully. 
and hopefully, and yes, he sees us individually. So these Bible stories were written so we could see real people struggling with their own real brokenness and fear and struggling with God and struggling with each other. These imperfect humans who were trying to survive in a disordered world and yet were all seen by God with such a passionate, compassionate gaze of hope that they were able to see. They were comfortable enough. Their fear fell away enough that they were willing to open their eyes and return the gaze and see God more clearly. And as a result of that, to be able to participate in God's grand story of redemption. See, God sees us like that, and God loves us like that. Maybe the most radically transformative thing we ever teach our children is this. Jesus loves me, this I know, period. Not just when I'm nice instead of naughty. Always. Always, even when there are tears in God's eyes because he's seeing us. Seriously, the world and so much of the church know so little of this unconditional childlike love. And unless we, you know, it's hard because unless we experienced it ourselves when we were young, we can find it so difficult to trust it when we grow up. So, how then? How can we return to a childlike trust in the God who sees? How can we recover some of that innocence that was lost? How do we return to the garden? Not just paradise lost, but how is paradise found again for us? Well, we think by risking letting ourselves be seen by the one who saw us before we were born. That's where we begin. Just take the risk that when you look at God seeing you, you see God seeing you, you're not going to see eyes of anger. You're going to see a gaze of absolutely perfect love. Scripture tells us this. You created my inmost being, God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. God knows everything about you, every detail. Things you would love for others to know. Things you hope never come out of the dark. And sure, right, because of what may have happened in our lives, we may need to take this loving thing, this, this risking thing, this seeing and being seen thing, very slowly at first. And that's okay. Because as we try it and test it and experience it, you know what happens? Our capacity begins to expand, to receive more and more and more as we experience grace upon grace. See, as we hear our name tenderly whispered by the God who sees us, and as we allow hope to grow in us, hope that there's more love available to us than we can imagine, hope that the brokenness can be healed, and the regrets can be forgiven and forgotten, 
Hope that God will guide you and me in love every step of the journey. Hope that we are going somewhere together that really is full of goodness and life. And hope that this whole big mess that we created will one day be completely recreated. And that we will be restored to our original innocence, not only in heaven one day, but right here on earth. How this is going to happen? Complete mystery. Right? We're all waiting to see. But that's Advent. That's the Advent hope. It is a complete mystery, and yet, you know what? It's already happening in us. It's already happening all around us in the healing power of God's transforming grace for those with eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to love and lives to offer as one small part of God's grand and glorious and ongoing story of redemption. Amen. Right here, right now. That God that Joanne has been talking about here, this God of glorious mystery, yeah. the God of revealed hope, yeah. the God born in our human bodies to make it true for you and me is gazing at us. Again, just like he did with all those stories we were telling you. Gazing at each of us and not just at us. Because when we open our eyes to God seeing us, we can also look around and look inside with renewed spiritual insight as well. And then God has the joy of seeing us seen. Seeing us seeing ourselves and seeing each other the way God does. Yeah. And how does God see us? Delightedly, sorrowfully, <laughs> hopefully, individually. Yes. And in our seeing, perhaps we can learn to love ourselves and others as God does as well. Yeah. This is mystery as well. Who said you, you quote quite often about the, the caution to not speak authoritatively about oh, mystery? Oh, Thomas More. Yeah. It's always a mistake to speak authoritatively of mystery. And sometimes there is a temptation in Christian life to try to explain everything, to go beyond what has been revealed to us and figure it out and put God in a box and say, this is the way it must be, to live with the ambiguity of some of this. It's mystery how it all works, but we know it's true. Yeah. And it's incredibly good news. How much hope? This is, this is, the, this is the theme of today here, this in, in terms of the Advent, uh, the Advent themes. This is the theme of this story that we've been telling. How much hope would it give the people in our lives if they could trust that we actually see them? Yeah. And that God sees them. And that the gaze we have on them is one of delight. How much hope would rise if even in the worst that people do to each other, we could see them with sorrow and respond to them with grace. We see some of that worse again in the newspapers this week, didn't we? Yeah. How much further along the path of redemption might the world be if believers in Jesus in particular would choose to open their eyes and to see as great as God does? How much hope would we have this Christmas if we could trust that God also hopes God waits with us and God hopes with us. And God hopes for us. Yeah. So this is our invitation to Advent, the coming gospel in our own lives. Wow. I'm always amazed that you all sit there and take it. You can take it all in every week. It's amazing. But then we go out and live it. <laughs> so to we like to fill you up on Sunday, so... 
you know, you have a lot to hold all week long and to hold you. To inspire you this week, hmm. we're inviting you to enjoy a beautiful music video that goes along with this message called The God Who Sees, and that's available on, on our website and on Facebook. As we close, we're going to close with an invitation to live hopefully in this mystery of seeing and being seen, especially in this season of Advent. We're going to trust that somehow this week God is going to reveal to you some of the mystery that is your life, that is your being, and maybe some of the reasons you're here, some of the purposes and gifts that God's given you, and that sometime this week, you'll return that gaze of love and say yes to whatever it is that God is calling you to. We're going to close with an invitation to live hopefully, right? So we usually do light candles in an Advent wreath each Sunday during Advent, right, to symbolize the gifts that God's given us. But our Advent wreath this year is not a wreath. Um, it's a garland. It's a garland of presents because we're celebrating the greatest gift of all, the gift of God's own presence, adventing, coming to be with us in the baby born, that first Christmas so long ago. We're going to unwrap one present each week in, and hopefully receive anew the gifts of Christ's presence. So presents, presents, you get it. On this first Sunday of Advent, the gift we unwrap is hope. It's symbolized by one candle, which will remain unlit, at least for now. In remembrance of the countless generations before us who longingly and lovingly awaited the Messiah's arrival and never saw with their own eyes. We do this to honor their steadfast hope in the darkness and to accept the Spirit's invitation to us to do likewise in our world's present darkness. This week, let's all take some time to see God in the dark and to continue hoping for Christ's light to go brighter and brighter and brighter. Amen? I'm going to ask you if you would like to join us in a closing prayer, if you'll just stand up, and we're going to pray this, this prayer together. Dear God, yes, as we, we begin, begin our Advent, Advent pilgrimage, grant us the courage to hope Hope for your presence, hope for your peace, hope for your promise. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go and let's hope. All right, let's hope. And let's see as God sees. Amen? Amen. God sees Thank us hoping. You all. Yeah, God sees us hoping. <laughs>